We're going to take about four weeks here and uh, look at this minor prophet only in its length. That's why it's called a minor prophet. Um, But one of my favorite books and favorite stories in the Bible. If you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, this is going to be on page uh, 774. How do we live a life of obedience to God in a world filled with terrorism? I was recently talking to a missionary who is overseas who had to leave the country they were in with their team because the country's government and the terrorist group Boko Haram were feuding. And that team of American missionaries was in real danger, and so they had to come back to the United States for a time and receive some what we'll call extra security training, the details of which I was not allowed to know. There are real threats, and for this group in particular, their lives, they were in real danger. Now, thankfully, the Lord has kept them safe, but I mention this story to talk about that there are parts of this world and times in our world where people in other countries, Christians sent to other countries, are not safe. Or there is likelihood that they are not safe and they need to be prepared. I share this brief example because today, as we look at Jonah, Jonah was similar to these group, this group of American missionaries. Jonah was a prophet of God, called by God, to go to a place where he could face real danger. Jonah was going to be called, we'll see this in our text today, he's going to be called to the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was one of the big cities in the nation of Assyria. Now, if we were reading this historically a little after Jonah, if we were Israelites reading this story, probably the first thing we would connect with any story about Assyria is the fact that in 722 BC, the nation of Assyria captures and exiles the 10 northern tribes of Israel. Historically, we know As one author puts it, Nineveh's reputation as a center of savage power. Nahum, the book of Nahum, another one of these smaller prophets, wrote, and he's writing a little after Jonah, but pretty close. He writes in chapter 3, verse 1, Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, no end to the prey. Or as NIV puts it, never without victims. In fact, Tana, go to the picture, not the map, but the picture. We have archaeology evidence of this. So this is a wall relief that you can go see in the British Museum. And I know it's a little hard to see because it's a stone on a screen. But what it is, is a depiction from a guy named Sennacherib. Who, and it is a depiction of Assyrian soldiers impaling their victims on spikes. 
Again, even historically outside of the Bible, we have evidence as to the ferocity and savage nature of the people of Assyria. And these are the people to whom God sends or wants to send the prophet Jonah. And so as we take these next four weeks to look at the four chapters of Jonah and its ups and downs, I want us to learn about God's call on our lives to reach our world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Our big idea this morning, if you're following along in the outline provided in your bulletin, is this. Regardless of the circumstances, we must obey God's call to share the gospel out of compassion for the lost. Now let me give one more footnote on this. Some of you, the story of Jonah is very familiar. I might press that maybe not all of the story is familiar and hopefully, keep an open mind to the details uh, past what you learned from a felt board and some cutouts. So let's look at, and and, and I've arranged this uh, chapter one with some, some of the exclamations that are made throughout chapter one. So the first exclamation made is go. So let's look at verses one to three. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Thank you, narrator, for putting the word Tarshish in there that many times. So pretty clear beginning of the story. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. God speaks to Jonah. Jonah is a prophet of God. God says, get up and go to Nineveh. Why? Go to that great city because their evil has come up before me. The picture is that their evil has created a terrible stench that has wafted up to the nose of God. God sees what they have done, and it is very clear. This doesn't change throughout the story. This is a wicked city. Again, we've seen some other evidence to that already. So Jonah is to go and to preach, to call out against. We'll see later as this is filled out more later on, the idea is to repent and believe. And we'll come to that more in chapter 3 when Jonah actually gets there. But, verse 3 happens. God says, go to Nineveh, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Tana, will you please put that map up that I have? Nineveh is located in what we know today as as modern-day Iraq. We don't know 100% where Tarshish is, but our best understanding, and it's a pretty good consensus, is that Tarshish is in modern-day Spain. Now, I don't know if we have any geography majors out there, but with the help of these wonderful arrows, 
you can see that Jonah literally goes in the exact opposite location and not just over to, say, Turkey or Greece. He's going to go a long way. The text emphasizes, look at verse 3. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and at the end to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. We are to see in his actions he's not just wanting to vacation in Tarshish, but he is trying to run away from the God of the universe. We'll come back to that in a second. But I want to pause here and I want us to think about why Jonah's disobedience is in one fact entirely understandable. He is running away from a real potential for danger and injury and death. I want you to see, because I think sometimes, again, when we when we play what we learned in Sunday school in our heads, we forget just how bad Nineveh and the Assyrian nation was. And that Jonah, if he were explaining to us why he ran away, well, I didn't want to be killed by the Ninevites, in one sense, that's completely understandable. But at the same time, and I think the text writes it this way, that he is presented as being a little silly to think that he can run away from God. And we'll come back to that in a little bit and use Jonah's own words against him. But I want you to see here that God expects Jonah, God knows what the Ninevites do to people. God knows how bad they are. Again, their evil has come up like a stench before him. But notice, even though his fear is reasonable, God still expects him to obey. God expects him to go to these evil people. And one thing I want us to see throughout our study of the book of Jonah is that even in difficult circumstances, even when fear is understandable, God still expects his people obey him. To obey not just when it's easy or fits into our schedule. We can't be like Jonah, who, who literally ran away from obedience. But how often do we in our hearts run away from obedience? So the story continues, Jonah might be trying to run away, but God has other plans. Let's look at point two in your outline there. Wake up and pray. Let's look at verses four to six. But the Lord, isn't that great? (laughs) He tries to run away, and then verse four, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. 
So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give, us, give a thought to us that we may not perish. Here again we see almost the silly nature of Jonah running away, that God is the God of the universe who controls the storm. God throws a great wind because the wind fits in the palm of his hand and creates this terrible, terrible storm. So much so that the ship threatened to break up. This boat is going to break. And in their fear, the mariners, the sailors, are afraid. And they cry out to their God. They all have, the understanding here is these are pagan, these are non-Jewish sailors, and they each have their particular God, as all people did back then. And they, in light of this storm, start praying to their God. And in fact, they start working. They say, hey, we need to get rid of this cargo so we can lighten the ship so that it's easier for it to stay afloat. But Jonah. What's Jonah doing? Jonah is in the bottom of the boat, fast asleep. In contrast to the pagan sailors who are working and praying, Jonah is asleep. And in fact, to add insult to injury, the narrator tells us that the pagan sea captain comes down and needs to tell God's prophet to start praying. Look at the words of the sea captain. What do you mean, you sleeper? NIV says, how can you sleep right now? (laughs) Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give thought to us that we may not perish. The sailors, the pagan sailors, know more what to do than God's prophet it shows us the temperature of Jonah's heart towards God right now. It shows his hardness of heart that the unbeliever has to tell him to pray. And there's almost another hint of truth when the captain says, perhaps the God, Jonah's God, will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And in one sense, that pagan sailor is exactly right. Jonah's God can save them so that they will not perish. But even after the captain tells Jonah to pray, we'll get to verse 7 in just a little bit here, but in between that exclamation calling Jonah to pray and the next verse is Jonah does not pray. Jonah is silent Jonah does not care. Even at the idea of the people on the boat and himself perishing, Jonah still does nothing. And this is another theme we're going to see throughout Jonah is his lack of compassion. Jonah does not have compassion on his people and therefore 
unlike these sailors who do everything to the boat they can to save their lives, and, and unlike the sailors, he, he, he does no prayer. We're going to come back to that later, but I want to show you just how it runs through every part of the story. Jonah's lack of compassion for others. And in fact, his lack of compassion for the Ninevites. That when God says, go tell these people what I have to say, that Jonah literally runs the other way as far as he can. Now, verses 7 to 10, we, we, we come back to the sailors. Because in their mind, something bad is happening, therefore, the gods must be angry. Okay, that's the way the pagan mind works. So they need to figure out what happened. And in one sense, as a broken clock is right two times a day, again, these pagan sailors are right. Someone has done something wrong that has caused the storm. And they are correct that God has sent the storm because of Jonah's obedience. So point number three in your outline there, what did you do? Let's look at verses 7 to 10. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So one of the ways in the ancient world that you would figure out what your God wanted was you would cast lots. Okay, it's sort of like today where, we, you know, you have all the straws and one of them's the short straw and everybody picks and then whoever has the short straw loses. Sort of an ancient version of that. And so the sailors do this and lo and behold, Jonah gets the short straw. So they begin to interrogate Jonah. Where, what's your job? Where are you from? What country? They're trying to figure out what God he has. Because in their mind, each country has a God. Okay, that's how the pagan mindset worked back then. And then in verse 9, we finally have Jonah speaking. Look at what he says. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Does he? Does he fear the Lord? Does he understand? I mean, everything he says here is true. He is an Israelite. He worships God. And that God is the God of heaven and the sea and the dry land. Those three parts are used to describe every part of existence. Right? So to the ancient mind, what you could say, you talk about the heavens, the sky, the water, and the dry land. It's sort of talking about all the different parts of creation. 
But if Jonah really believed that, if he believed that God was the Lord of every part of creation, would he think he can get away from God in Spain? Does he really fear the Lord if he thinks he can run away from what God told him to do? See, what you see here is this disconnect between what Jonah says and what he does, and what he does actually speaks to what's inside his heart. This is a truth you see all the time in your Bible and in your experiences. Someone can tell you what they think till they're blue in the face, but oftentimes the greatest thermometer of what they actually believe is what they do. And Jonah runs away and I think shows that he doesn't have the fear of the Lord. I don't think he truly comprehends that God is the God of all creation. Because if he did, then he would have the reaction of the sailors. Look at verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Again, the sailors react better than Jonah. He says, I'm running away from God and what he told me to do, and I believe that this God is the God of the universe. And they're like, why would you do that? If you actually believed that the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land told you to do something, then you would have fear if you disobeyed him. Again, the narrator is sharp. We don't know who wrote the book of Jonah. Maybe it's an older Jonah. I think that would be neat if it turned out to be Jonah later in life. But intentionally throughout this first chapter, we see these pagan sailors putting a prophet of God to shame. Because Jonah is faced with is, do, do I actually believe what I say I believe to the point where it'll actually change what I do? I've used this idea before, but I think it's a good one. We're, we're sort of like sponges. That when we experience the pressures in life, you see what's really inside of us. And I think that's what's happening to Jonah. And, and as we look through this whole story, again, past the points that we learned in Sunday school, we'll get to the fish in a little bit, don't worry, it's actually a really small part of the story. <laughs> but we see what Jonah's really made of. And it brings to us, what am I made of? Will I be obedient to God when it's hard? Will I be obedient to God when I'm afraid? Or even when that fear is reasonable, will I still be obedient? So now that they've figured out that Jonah is the problem, now the sailors are going to try to solve the problem. Let's look at verses 11 and 12, and we're going to see a terrible plan. 
verses 11 and 12. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah tells the sailors, to solve the problem, you need to throw me in the ocean. Now, a couple things, because again, this is where our familiarity with the story actually hinders our ability to truly understand the story. Notice, no one has asked God what God wants to do. Right? What did the sea captain say to Jonah? Get up and pray. Notice we've seen no prayer from Jonah, and God, who spoke earlier in the chapter, has said nothing. Sometimes when, I read, when we read this, I think we remember the fact that the big fish is coming. There is nothing in the text that would even closely lead us to believe that Jonah knows the big fish is coming. He hasn't had Sunday school yet. He didn't have a felt board, okay? And this is where I'm going to be very critical of Jonah in a way that you might not be used to. Because again, the text does not give us any indication that this is what God wanted. I think the best way to understand this is him saying, I would rather die than obey. There is nothing in the text that leads us to the expectation that Jonah thinks he is going to be miraculously rescued because he would need a miraculous rescue because they're in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Jonah is not on, you know, he wasn't on the Israelite national swim team. There's nothing in the text. In fact, the notes from the Zondervan Study Bible say this, Jonah was willing to sacrifice his own life rather than be the prophet whose message would cause the Ninevites to repent. And again, this is a little different than what you may have learned in Sunday school growing up, but I think it's the best understanding here. Because look at what the sailors do in verses 13 to 16. They make one last effort. Look at, look at what they do. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now again, the pattern continues of the narrator shows us how these pagan sailors are more noble than God's prophet. So look what they do first. Number one, they try to row really hard. Okay, so they do their best to get back to dry land just with sheer, uh, sheer force of will. 
because they don't want to throw him, they don't want to throw him into the water to his death. Secondly, uh, they pray to God for preemptive forgiveness. Do you see that? They called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. I mean, they, again, the way the writer talks about these pagan soldiers is they even get some of their theology right. The Lord has exactly done what has pleased him, and the Lord gets to do what pleases him. And so they ask for preemptive forgiveness. Because they are trying to listen to a prophet of God. Do you see how, in one sense, the sailors are presented as being obedient? In contrast with the disobedience of Jonah. Thirdly, look at verse 16. They respond with verbs that are often used in the context of worship in the Old Testament. So after they throw Jonah in, they feared the Lord exceedingly. And you see this especially in the book of Proverbs, that a way to talk about understanding that God is God and I am not and worshiping him, one of the ways to do that in your Bible is to talk about the fear of the Lord. It's attributed to these pagans. They offered a sacrifice. Again, this is the Old Testament, so that is an act of worship. And they made vows. Again, a word connected to worship in the Old Testament. One author about the sailors here writes this, their desire to rescue Jonah from divine punishment contrasts sharply with Jonah's lack of compassion for the people of Nineveh. The compassion and the partially correct understanding of these pagans is meant to show us the state of mind and heart of God's prophet Jonah and how calloused he is towards God and how far his heart is from him and how little compassion he has. Again, think of yourself as an Israelite reading this and someone who is supposed to be the best. He's God's prophet, is being put to shame by a bunch of pagan sailors. Sometimes the truth hurts. And this is meant to hurt. This is meant to be stinging. The sharp contrast is meant to be there. It's meant to magnify Jonah's lack of compassion and lack of obedience. But thankfully for Jonah, God's not done with him yet. And so we get to the famous verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. God again shows his power over all creation. This is a phrase that's going to come back up again and again in the book of Jonah. God appointed, da-da-da-da-da, showing his sovereignty over all things. And God sends a great fish to swallow Jonah and not only save him from drowning, 
but the fish will also help take him back to Nineveh in chapter 3. As we come to the end of the text of this chapter, I want you to see that a lot of the book of Jonah is teaching by what not to do. And just because Jonah's a prophet doesn't mean he's not an example of what not to do. And in fact, as we see what not to do, that that that's the power of Jonah is because sometimes when... Sometimes when we need to change, we don't see it in ourselves because our hearts are self-deceptive. And when you raise up the mirror of Jonah to your own life, that as you see Jonah's need for change, that you and I would see our need for change. Because we may be more like Jonah than we'd like to admit. But just like Jonah, God in his sovereignty is taking us through life the ups and the downs, to show us who he is, which over time will help us to lead us to repentance and change. For those of us on this side of the cross to repent of our sins and to be transformed to be more like Jesus Christ. And so as we walk through Jonah, even the parts that maybe aren't as familiar, that you would allow God's surgical scalpel to cut away at those parts of your life to bring healing even if it stings a little bit. Let me close with three points of application here. Number one, God still requires obedience even when fear is reasonable. The first part of this application is that in every generation, God calls some people to go to parts of the world that have potential for danger. There is always a call for God's people to be missionaries in places that can be dangerous. Think of all the places that we support as a church and how many of them would at least partially fit the potential danger of Nineveh. There are many places we support where we don't post about it on the internet for security reasons because that would cause potential danger for our missionaries. Again, there are still places in this world that are dangerous, but God still calls people to go there. But secondly, if God expected Jonah to obey and go to Nineveh? How much more should we obey when God has not called us to Nineveh? The book of Jonah can give us, who live in a relatively safe place, a little cup of perspective. And that if God expected this from Jonah, how much more from us? Number two, God's people must be people of compassion. And this is a story that runs throughout the book of Jonah. We're going to come back to it again and again. Jonah does not show compassion. 
And his compassion is in contrast to God's compassion and even today in contrast to the compassion of these pagan sailors. God is a compassionate God. So compassionate that he even wants to send Jonah to Nineveh in the first place. Do you see how that is an expression of God's compassion? For people whose evil has risen up like a stench to his nose. God has compassion on the Ninevites. Are there people in your life or groups of people in your life that you don't have compassion for but God has compassion for? Individuals in your life who have been harsh with you. People who look or vote differently than you. Do you have compassion for them? People who have come to this country either legally or illegally, do you have compassion for them? God calls us to be people of compassion. And along with that point three, God desires all people to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. If God will send Jonah to Nineveh to tell them to repent and believe, then there are no people who cannot experience his mercy and grace. God desires your boss who's harsh to you or creates a hostile work environment. God desires him to know Christ. The atheist who mocks your faith and talks about you believing in some imaginary sky spaghetti monster. God desires to him to know Jesus. God desires people in terrorist groups like Boko Haram that I mentioned earlier. God desires them to find forgiveness and salvation in Jesus Christ. So to begin Jonah's story, we see what not to do. God expects us to be obedient even when obedience is difficult. God expects us to be compassionate to all people and all types of people. And God expects us to share the good news even with those who act like our enemies. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the story of Jonah that those of us familiar with the story would see it with fresh eyes, that we would learn from the mistakes of Jonah, and that we would be people obedient and compassionate and have a heart for people to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that through faith in Jesus we can be forgiven of our sins and have the hope of eternal life with him forever. God, that you would use this small book to change us, to transform us to be more like your son today. We pray this in his name. Amen.